0: Welcome to Know-It-All, the podcast about the future of construction and manufacturing. I'm your host, Jason Barber, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Nate Tuckerman. Nate is the partner manager at Procore. Great to have you, Nate. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. Nate, today we were going to talk about technology, data, and better practices and processes that can help construction companies, managers, and other products be more efficient and productive for the industry. Before we dive into this a bit more in depth, just wanted to take a minute to really just talk about each other's roles at each of our respective companies and really like what experience you have in the construction industry to, to help make it be a bit more relevant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I come from the industry. I was a project manager for 11 years at Rosen and Electric out of the Bay Area in California, uh, out of our corporate headquarters in San Jose, and we did a large commercial Projects like airports and hospitals, uh, data centers, and, and tech campuses. Uh, I, I like to say I've touched everything except for multi tenant high rises, and, and was never really too broken up about that. Running large projects, a uh, uh, Microsoft Silicon Valley campus was a ninety million dollar electrical contract. It is running a small company, you know, teams of people, systems, process. You know, you try to make it as similar to the company standard as possible, but it has to be flexible to the constraints of the project. And so it was always a a learning experience of what tools are we going to use for this and whether you're doing a heavily BIM project and you were using like the Peter's BIM Anywhere tools at the time or or not and what was the GC prescribing or the owner and so it was always an interesting endeavor to say like what what are the needs of this project and what are we going to do to service the needs of this project
0: and Nate tell me how do you take that experience and use it in your role today
1: yeah, it's it's basically having a perspective and and bringing that domain knowledge to either a consultative approach or just a consideration of of where are we going to end up as a as a result of our efforts. So coming into Procore and partner managing, it's a lot about putting the right tools in place to the the solution sell that we're doing or mapping out what that integration is going to look like to deliver the best value to our joint customers.
0: Awesome, thanks, Nate. I think that's one of the reasons you and I get along so well is our, our backgrounds have a lot of similarities. I also came from the, the construction industry. I spent oh, 15 plus years in, in various roles, much like Nate, You know, senior PM on infrastructure projects and then also ran operations for a, a large electrical contractor in the, the Denver area. And that I would never say that that experience of dealing with all the complexities of a construction project You can't gain that really anywhere else but doing it with boots on the ground and really, honestly, the joys and the pains of it. We we as an industry build some really cool things, and there's a lot of people that are really proud of that. But probably a good segue, it is really difficult to do it. It's probably more difficult than it needs to be. You know, Nate, one of the things that we always talk a lot about, and I think the industry as a whole does, is is productivity. What's your perspective on on productivity? I mean, everybody talks about the the McKinsey report that's been out there with that chart that shows you know manufacturing's been increasing productivity, construction is lagging, but that's been out there a lot. There's lots of other conversations about what's what's your perspective, Nate?
1: There's so many ways to go here. I, I think of productivity as a project manager as a way to ensure the the performance against budget that I'm targeting for labor. Right? What are these leading indicators that didn't give me indications that we're going to make it or, or not, essentially. And I've sort of highlighted it my whole career as this divide between the office and the field. Of, you know, I was a union contractor, and we didn't have agreements on production. We had tool lists, and we had show-up times, and we covered basically everything in the agreement save for what a person could do. The tool list kind of said that he could do everything, but not at, at what speed. And, and getting him to buy into the fact that we bid these jobs off empirical data and if we hit these production milestones, we're going to be profitable. And if we're profitable, we're going to perform. You know, And it flows into everything, getting the next job. And so trying to, trying to highlight that to a union field personnel to say, I want you to buy into these goals that we've got was a real challenge. And the benefit of the doubt to the guys that I used to really try to hammer on is if you can show somebody what success looks like for them instead of trying to browbeat them on going faster and squeezing out another fixture install, but showing them that if you do A, then, then we're going to be proud of what we do and everyone's going to be happy. They, they almost always perform to that because they want to be successful. Like a great example is the field hates rework. They hate reinstalling something. Even if I can convince them we're getting paid for it. Nope. Nope. They want it moved six inches. That's like, well, can't we just wait to put it in until we get the final location and I'll just come by and do it once. And the concept of getting paid to do it twice just doesn't ever seem to resonate. And so I think if you can, honor what we owe the field, which is tools, information, and material to make them productive, You know they're going to lean into that. They're going to say, I'm going to go as fast. as a pride to work. In fact, the JETCs hold these competitions for for speed and quality. Who's the, the best apprentice? Who's the best? The locals are pitted against each other. They do it from within the local. And so it's already bred into them when they come out of the union and, or the training centers to, to do good work, make sure you know how to do it, and how fast can you do it that demonstrates your knowledge of how it's going to go together. And so it's, you know, how do you cultivate that and how do you, you know, foster that in a, in a culture in the field that is buy-in to common goals that lead to production, quality, as well as profitability.
0: You kind of touched on a couple of really interesting ideas or, or or really truths in the industry there, like the disconnect between the office and the field and really how much the field drives, you know, productivity. I mean, that is the the crux of productivity. I almost feel like, you know, the most successful companies that I've been a part of or even projects I've worked on were the ones where we treated the foreman or the field supervision as the the end customer. Like that is who we were serving as the office as from the engineering standpoint, architecture owners all across, you know, kind of up and down the supply chain. And that's been rare honestly in my my career that that actually has happened. But why do you think that is that there's just this lack of, we call it understanding, or even just those scenarios where the field is the the end, but it's not like the end customer. It's just like the afterthought.
1: I think the nature of the business is such that that it's hard to make an employee feel value, a field employee, because you know we would build a job with maybe 20 core guys, foreman, people that we moved through projects, and we go to the hall for the other 60 you know, 40, whatever that is, the crew up, crew down. And so it creates this mentality of, you know, we'll all work for anybody in the Valley type of thing. Pace is the same. I get to show up with the same tools. And so whether I'm doing what you need or they need, it's going to be different tomorrow. So really what I want to just do is show up and install stuff. And when you try to get by and to say, hey, look, you know, they take it as like, hey, you're trying to make me into a company man. And I'm really not trying to be a company man. Some of these guys come from Louisiana to make a, a better wage in in the summertime, and so it's not a separation between the office. So that's really a, a cultivation of diving into what matters to the individual, which is a sense of pride in their work and craftsmanship. And like I said, if you show them, and we got creative about it, like, hey, if you can get to the end of the hallway by Thursday, you can have Friday off because you already met the installation rate we were trying to hit. So I don't I don't need you here Friday. I don't need to make X amount more. I just need to hit this budget or this target for you know ten percent savings or whatever that is. And then you get people like me, the younger generation people that are like, hey, if I can work to get time off, (laughs) I'm going to go twice as fast as you thought ever possible. Some of the older generation guys are like, no, I'm going to feel worthless on Friday if you send me home. And so it's just about identifying how to unlock that potential in your crews and and create and nurture that competitiveness within them.
0: Yeah, and I think... That competitiveness is is inherent in most people that are in this industry for for various reasons. Like it's that level of craftsmanship, it's that level of care. I, it is so high across the board, and it's it's one of the things I love the most about it. Going to the productivity, like what does that you know mean to you? Let's unpack what really is productivity and and how is that measured and how is that looked at we talk a lot about man hours whether that's directs or indirects but what do you think is incorporated in that and is leading to this larger statistical data that's saying projects are stagnant in their productivity
1: i think productivity is is construction stoichiometry right it's a unit per something per hour per foot per lineal feet whatever that is and and we're trying to to create these little recipes by cost code as we track stuff and so what is productivity? It's it's that measured mile. It's the systems that we do. And a lot of times it's in Excel, right? We estimate this job, we convert it and we're going to get into it, but like the rate that you have and what's inclusive of that. And so productivity is this sort of big stone block that you have to chip away at to figure out like, what are we what are we doing here? Is it a statue of David or is it just a pedestal for the front of the, the garden here? And, and then what, what, how complex is that project that we're going to take on? And And so it's the tools that you use, the agreements across the business on what these rates are going to be comprised of, and then the presentation of those to your teams. One example of of like, okay, the stakeholders in productivity and what does that mean to a construction industry is I would get estimates from the field on what they think they've installed only to find out when I cross-check that with purchasing that we've delivered less conduit to the site that the field thinks that they've installed. And that's not because they're trying to mislead you. They're just putting their thumb up in the air and guessing, I think I did about this much. And the information capture to support productivity is is a big part of being a production tracking business because, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So long and short of it is I I think productivity is something that's going to touch multiple stakeholders within your company. is going to require multiple eyes and inputs against it and ultimately going to take buy-in into all of those people on how we're going to do it.
0: absolutely agree. I think one of the things that you're really getting onto is, and you're, we'll get into more detail on, is collecting the information to let people know where they're at. That example of does the procurement quantities match up with what people are reporting as installed quantities? And that in the past and still lots of companies today, you know, that used to be an 8.5 by 11 card that each foreman would fill out and for the day and then they'd turn it in at the end of the week and you'd have, you know, an army of office engineers, field engineers that would then enter enter that into your ERP system. Most companies even today it's slightly better than that, like you said it's excel spreadsheets, but it's not anything that's all that sophisticated more. I mean there's tools like Procore and Manufacton and others that are trying to to supplement that. You got a you know, big job, some of the ones I've done in the past where you're you're spending six hundred thousand man hours a year on these projects. You know, you described that ninety million dollar electrical contract. I mean, that's depending on how long that one was, that probably was more man hours per year or could be less, doesn't matter. What are the ways to break that down? I mean, that's a pretty abstract number and we go to cost codes and you know, we're looking at production rates and comparing that to the estimate. But really, one of those things that's not in there is that doesn't. it's meant to be all-inclusive of staging the material, prepping the material, getting access to the locations. What do you see as the challenges and, and what do you see as some of the potential solutions to make that
1: easier for people? I think one of the biggest challenges is looking at too much. And To your point, a 600,000 man hours is daunting when you try to undertake it as a total project. And depending on how sophisticated you are in your cost coding, we used to contemplate on big jobs whether we break down a single phase code by similar scope, right? Whether it's conduit or fixtures, or switch gear, or whatever. If we wanted to start cracking that up into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces, and then you go, okay, well, now I'm going to have cost reports and daily time cards that have 350 cost codes because it's by area, system, phase, level, you know, all of these different separators. Maybe you're matching the contract drawing setup for areas to a floor. And then you start to realize like, if you go all the way down to that level of granularity, it's just information overload and you're going to have all this code contamination because I don't know if the conduit I put on was left or right at grid line five. And so one of the biggest problems is just trying to settle on what's the right number of ways to track. You get everyone's buying on that and you try to make it simple. You try to do as few as possible to give you incremental information against that install. So you don't want it to be something that spans nine months because it's hard to aggregate. Hey, is my percent spent versus my percent complete versus my production quantity reported? Is that all jiving? And it's really too long to ascertain the health of that that task or activity or similarities similarities in the work, right? I'm 30% complete, but I did it on work that was really quick and easy because there's nothing in my way hangers, putting rods on rack. And then the other 30% comes with a bunch of material stack on the floor and everything else because there's a bunch more trades that came in per schedule. I'm starting to see some lags in production there. And you you can't really accurately forecast the blended rate against that long code. So the difficulties are really in the setup and the thought that goes into what's going to happen against that install in those areas because of schedule and all those other things. And that's a lot to digest. So you try to take it in manageable chunks. I think those are the challenges. I think the the second part of what you're saying is what are the successes or what do you do is you know you have it as part of your process to check in on a lot of people get these complicated whips or, or ports and it's information overload or paralysis by analysis and, and so you have to make it a point to talk about what you're doing you got to find out what's working and what's not and you got to you got to share that you got to make that communal knowledge on both sides so one guy is saying hey look i found out that this thing comes with earthquake clips but they're not in the fixture, you got to go downstairs and get them. And no one else knew that. So he went and picked up a big old package of them and has been blowing these things out. And the other guys have been walking downstairs to get them every single time. And so you got to get those people talking, you got to have a medium to share that knowledge that you're learning on jobs of be like, Hey, look out for all of the drywall that's coming or whatever that is. Those are some of the high level things.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that 30% complete, or even, you know, you started to get to the complexities of trade stacking and, you know, the trend that's forcing it is we've got, you know, tighter and tighter schedules to deliver on projects and it's not a new concept, but it really seems like we're at a tipping point for, for prefab and and offsite construction and making it so that that 30 to 50% of the install is already done. It's done offsite, it's done beforehand. And then it's just really final install and assembly and then also, it eliminates a lot of the the challenges of of trade stacking. What do you see as some of the other trends that are happening there, and really the benefits of it? And I mean, obviously, there is that holy grail. It could save as much as thirty to forty percent of your your project costs if you're really prefabbing a lot of it. Um, but what are your what's your perspective on
1: that? I think in construction it's like careful what you do because as soon as you perform at a certain level, that becomes the new benchmark of expectations. Like, wait, you can do a data center in ten months? Oh, well then then we should be able to go back to the table and figure out a way to do it in eight. Hey, well, I got three people to quit doing that eighteen month data center in ten months. Like that <laughs> <laughs> That inherently is kind of what we do, is we try to move the needle to do cheaper, faster, better, and and the challenge is always gonna be there, the competitive nature of the landscape when you hard bid a job. And so you look at it from a, this may be, the future I really think is gonna be that they're gonna drive these win and gains and abilities to perform into the plan when you estimate. And so if you're not planning on prefabbing, being more efficient, saving those 30% hours, being safer and lowering your EMR, more competitive in your labor, Insurances. if that's not all baked into your empirical data on how you're going to build jobs then the numbers that you're sending out the door are going to be widely different than your competition and a few things in that i think selling prefab there's the detractors and let's just say I'll talk about the elephant in the room which is labor saying you're taking hours out of the field and all of the lobbyists and everyone that are saying hey we're trying to preserve the working conditions for our constituents to which i say like i'm spending the hours i'm just putting them in a different place and i don't know a field electrician or tin knocker or whatever that would complain about not working in a hundred degree weather on the the roof of a building versus in an air conditioned lunch room set up in a, in a warehouse. And so I'm transferring hours, not eliminating them. And again, the safety piece is huge for me. I think we went something like three years without a recordable in our prefab shop. Big sign right at the front is because it's clean. All of this stuff is is available. It's similar repetitive tasks. The, the the safety conditions within that warehouse are just extremely controlled because everybody works for the same company. And I think that you're starting to see solutions like yours. You're starting to see things like cloud-based project management solutions that are aggregating and putting everyone in the same place, even if they are in different locations. And the, the breakdown in delivery and communication and all that stuff that is increased when you endeavor to do a high amount of prefab is is starting to become less of an obstacle. And I think we're going to start seeing those benefits. It's just my question really comes down to, are we going to start baking that into the estimates or not? Are people going to make that choice to to leave that margin on the table?
0: Yeah, I think I'm seeing it even uh, a shift from how it was, you know, when I was running operations, the way we would estimate things for prefab was we would just take a percentage of the total direct man hours and say, okay, we're going to do this much prefab. But it had no like planned logic to it. It wasn't like, hey, we always prefab our panel boards, we always prefab our hangers, or we always prefab whatever it is. And then taking that approach and saying, well, how many hangers, how many panel boards do we have on this particular job? And then letting that kind of translate out into our prefab targets. And I see companies making that shift now where they are taking that approach of we always prefab these certain things pretty much no matter what. And our, goal is to increase the number of things that we always prefab and always preassemble or kit or whatever it is. And that's part of, for me, like the tipping point. And like you said, you know, yes, it does and introduce some challenges around collaboration because you've got different locations and more logistics to deal with. But honestly, I think maybe a silver lining to the pandemic, we we've all been dealing with that now for 16 months or whatever it is that We can learn how to do that. We can use tools like, like ManufactOn and Zoom. And it's not, if you can't see it, you, you don't trust it. There's, there's just lots of great ways to really collaborate around that and roll that up to tools like Procore that gives you the real benefits to it. And you can see those schedule gains and, and safety. I mean, getting everybody to go home the same way that they came to work is is a huge endeavor, and it's it's not easy, and it's awesome when that happens, and you have those successes.
1: You said something there that rang particularly true for me. That question of whether or not you're going to use these processes to earn margin or not is sort of you know that's a business decision for each company. But we were already setting up assemblies within the estimate to say that these are pre-targeted for prefab. We know that we've already got a, a recipe, a bill of material we can take this template all the way to operations. And if you just tell me how many you got, we can quickly extrapolate that and create a prefab shop around these. That work's already been done. Like I said, the bill of materials already compiled. So you just put the multiplier in there. And that was a spreadsheet, but it was a direct export from the estimate to say, here's what we're doing. And and here's all the qualified areas. And so I I could not take because we used to do the same thing, a percentage of the, if we did X amount of hours, right? We had these OKRs okay that say, let's do X amount of hours in prefab this year. And each project contributed their percentage. But if you took that export from the estimate and you said, OK, well, based on the quantity of these pre-targeted or tagged assemblies, I've already got 25,000 hours of qualified prefab material without getting creative about what else we can do. I think that's a great start to stay. how do you not have to do the work brand new every time and, and take that coordination effort down and that learning curve down to say, hey, look, we, we've got a plan to deliver to the operational teams as a startup or handover meeting. The prefab manager is included and says, hey, you know, I looked over your estimate and it looks like, bop, 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 here's, here's what I've got for you guys.
0: That whole planning aspect, there's so much data that shows over a long period of history, the better planned a job is, the better they they execute. And it seems like a no-brainer. But then when you look at prefab and what you were discussing in the the estimate and really logging that out there, I mean, because the estimate is really just the, the best stab at a plan, uh, given what you know at the time. And prefab forces even more in-depth planning and a lot of those other things. And then it starts to get to one of the things we also wanted to talk about is, all right, so you've got that data from the estimate, but then a lot of times that kind of gets thrown over the fence and and estimating doesn't really know what happens in prefab or doesn't really know what happens in the field. What are the challenges you see there and and what's happening industry-wide to address that?
1: You know, by nature of the professions, they're they're sort of separated, right? It's always funny to me that estimating is on the, the ground floor, like the guys in the basement just hammering away on those drawings. I think it behooves the operational managers at the end of the day to really seek out the help and feedback. And just like we talk about operationalizing culture, I think you need really to operationalize your estimate. You need to marry those two worlds together almost seamlessly. The feedback loop of what we're currently performing things at and do we want to in- update our empirical data and our, change our estimate rates because we're just constantly losing it on branch conduit, for example, or does that inherently make us less competitive? And so those two teams really need to be talking to my point of do we want to make our business practice factoring in what we're doing operationally into our estimates? If those people aren't talking and thinking on what are we going to do with this data on either side of this line, pre-bid and award... You're just sort of hoping that the industry stays static to your process. And we see it on material pricing. Right? What am I buying it at? What's going on in purchasing versus what do we have in our database? We link those. That's a no-brainer. You're like, we can't be buying it for the wrong material price. We're going to lose on low-risk stuff. And almost every company, I think, hits that pretty well. But When you start talking about this stuff and process-driven production improvements and process improvements, it, it's sort of, you know, we'll, we'll get to when we have time and we never seem to wind up having enough time to do that.
0: <laughs> right. Some of those post-mortems or even you know, kind of real-time feedback loops. One of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is recognizing that one of the big blockers to that is having structured data to be able to compare actual information. And it's the classic apples to apples versus apples to oranges. And I think a lot of people don't really think about it, but I'll try to use some examples. If estimating calls it a junction box, but then the operation on the field team calls it a four square box, there's no way of knowing that it's the same thing or it would take a lot of mapping of data. I view really call a responsibility of technology is to help companies structure their data across all the different stakeholders so that whatever estimating is calling it versus pre-con versus VDC versus the field versus warranty, so on and so forth, they can actually match it up. And that's just within one trade contractor. You abstract that to information that GCs and owners need to really start to compare and contrast and look at what's going well, what's not going well. The silly one is AC. Well, AC can mean asphalt concrete, it could also mean air conditioning. Totally different things that if you're comparing data on both of those, then you're going to get things that are meaningless essentially. And software technology especially is a great way to to put some swim lanes in to make that data be structured so that then you can actually do some real analytics hey everyone thanks for joining us for another episode of know-it-all we're just getting started on a great conversation with nate and there's more to come next episode so join us again as we continue our conversation with nate Tuckerman on better data and construction next time on know-it-all